time has come. The time is now. In This Corner with Brian Campbell returns with a pro wrestling edition as we fire up the furnace of feels with another steaming hot dose of performance enhancing audio. Yes, the Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear just about ready to unleash yet another loaded show you simply won't want to miss. It's just about that time, right? Lights, camera, action. Well, it's a different kind of action there, Rick. But uh, we will recap this week in absolutely hot fire NJPW card from over the weekend in San Francisco and preview both this week's kickoff to the G128 Climax in Japan and the WWE Extreme Rules pay-per-view card. Hey, we may even mess around and talk some Brock Lesnar entering the octagon and what that might mean for WWE moving forward. Let's do Yes, we're doing it. We are doing it. But before I tag in the King of Silver, let me remind you to do your part in the audio revolution. You know the drill. If you hear something on the show today that you like, if you see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. And folks, it's quite simple. It takes three steps and 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you're feeling generous, please give us those five stars that we so badly covet. It's all about the five stars. It's all about defies. You understand? You know what I mean. It's all about defies. But without any further ado, it's showtime, folks. Let me tag in my co-host. Say hello to the bad guy. Oh, yeah. He's a man who loves to protect finishing moves, including his own, the Silver Hedge. He's the Silver King. Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. Yes, Adam, I am so damn fired up about this show, about the revolution in general. Let me say it like this to you, all right? I've seen the future. I've seen the weather report that's coming for the state of wrestling the next few months. And beginning this weekend with the G1, oh, yeah, it's clear skies ahead, if you know what I mean. You've had some sunny days, my friend. Yes, and it's only going to get better. You fired up? You feeling what I'm feeling? Yeah, I'm ready to go. I didn't have anything off the top for you because I didn't want to do another uh, Ric Flair, Brock Lesnar faux pas like a week ago. So I decided to take this one off. Um... Outside of that, yeah, sunny days are ahead, I think. Extreme Rules is obviously coming up on Sunday. Way to bury the lead there. I know the G1 is important to us, but Extreme Rules is important to everyone. Um, really? Extreme think, Rules is not important to everybody. Let's be honest. It's more that. important than the G1 is to the majority of wrestling fans. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do it's just, or the right thing to be the case, but that is the case. Um, I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic for that. I'm excited as all hell for the G1. And I think we really, over the last eight to ten days, got some really good wrestling that um, is going to give us plenty to talk about on today's episode. Yeah, damn right it will. And uh, when we talk about things like watching Extreme Rules on pay-per-view, WWE, or NJPW, the G1 starting up, Adam, you know there's a place that's convenient, quick, streaming, perfect to watch that. And I'm talking about that Roku box that you got me all fired up on. I didn't think it could be this easy. I didn't think the consummation could be that quick, but this is, you know, this is this is my new home here. Tell t- tell the people why they need to join this revolution. Forget forget about what Cody's going on. Forget about what Brandy's talking about. Forget about all that stuff. I'm all in. Yeah, we're 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 all in. Tell us about this revolution. 
Well, I've been all in on Roku for quite a while before they even decided to start uh, joining us on this podcast. Look, it, it's fantastic. Um, when you talk about a streaming device that is easy to use, it doesn't get any easier than taking a Roku streaming stick, plugging it into your television, changing a couple settings, setting up your Wi-Fi, your time zone, etc., and you're off and running. That's it. You add every single channel that you need, WWE Network, NFL, CBS Sports HQ. You get to see Nick Costas on that every single night, um, at least weekdays. And uh, you really, you're, you're off and running. You're able to stream thousands, hundreds of thousands of TV shows, movies. You're able to watch basically every single sports league in the entire world, plus most professional wrestling channels that are out there. Um, look, I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. Roku is the best streaming player on the market. I have two in my home. I'm going to get one for the office for my little TV at my desk. If they don't send me one themselves, Roku, hope you hear this. Send me a Roku. Send me, I need one more. Yeah, I need can number I get three. A, hey, Roku, uh, can I get a bear koozie? Can I get something here? Can I represent can I get a, <laughs> a, a, a hockey jersey? Something here. Come on. No, nah, but we, we love the Roku all, in all seriousness. They start as low as $29.99 for that streaming stick, and they go up from there. You can get it in HDR and 4K. Really, whatever type of television or system that you have, they can meet that technology and provide an incredible streaming experience. So all you need to do to learn more is go to Roku.com, R-O-K-U.com, and start streaming today. And by the way, we all have different likes when it comes to WWE merch. If you are one of those people that buys the WWE WrestleMania hockey or football jersey, burn your stuff. Like, just, just throw it in the fire. Like, <laughs> where, did that, where did that come from? Uh, the, you know, I mean, like, we were, at, we were at WrestleMania together, you and I, the last two years. You go in the Superstore. It's got a million awesome things. And then in the corner, there's football jerseys that say WrestleMania 35. Get the hell out of here. There's, it makes no sense. I think the only one that is acceptable to purchase is whatever like knockoff of Shane O'Max that he wears because it's ironic and because it's for Shane. But you're right. Any single, and I, I feel this way about J shirts too. Like people that wear a Ewing 33 t-shirt. I'm like, what, what the hell are you doing? Oh, Buy the jersey. No, you want to wear that. Are, are solid. Come on. That's a cost effective. Dude, it's the exact means. same thing. The, a J shirt or a fake wrestling really jersey are identical. When you say J shirt, yeah, J I'm thinking like Paul Heyman or something here. No, J shirt, Jersey shirt. That's what they're called. I've never heard J shirt in my life. J shirts are fantastic because here's the oh, here's awful. the deal: a man, a grown man wearing a jersey in public. Like I wear basketball jerseys because I play basketball. I would never wear a basketball jersey in public, but I'd rock that Luke Walton Lakers J shirt that I own. Of course, I'd rock that. How about you just buy a Luke Walton shirt or a Lakers shirt or whatever the you know? Because I'm a grown ass man, like. you don't wear a basketball jersey in public unless you got guns or you know unless it's suns so out. Then don't buy it. So then wear a regular T-shirt. Don't buy a J shirt. You will never catch me ever in a J shirt. I think it's. Horrible. It looks bad. If you want to wear a jersey, wear a jersey. I don't care how old you are. You're obviously an old man. Maybe it's different for me. I'm still in my 30s. Um, if you want to wear a jersey, wear a jersey. If you want to wear a t-shirt, wear a t-shirt. A J-shirt is an abomination. Are we taking fashion advice from the Silver King here? All I'm saying is don't wear the WWE football jersey or you're on my list. Hey, Adam, we got too much to talk. We got too many holes that we need to put our hands in and produce those feels. Let's get right to where it starts. The main Yeah, event. hit me with the main event. All right, BC, we're going to kick it off with Brock, Effin, Lesnar. Uh, we were both watching UFC 226 on Saturday night and saw him in the crowd before that Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic. Yeah, I was watching from from cage side, the second Well, row. you were cage side, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Brian gets sent to Vegas by me. I get to sit home and watch him have fun in Vegas. I was actually looking at you to make sure I said his name correctly. But uh, Cormier won the heavyweight championship, uh, UFC heavyweight championship, which was Tremendous accomplishment. And next thing we know, 
He calls out Brock Lesnar. Lesnar storms his way into the ring and shoves him in what BC, I called on Twitter, the most fake bleep I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen a more scripted thing happen in a real sport. Well, all right. So why don't, why don't you go ahead and tell me I'm wrong about that? In theory, you're not wrong, but in reality, you are, because if you watch MMA all the time, the history of UFC, some really bad Bellator stuff in recent years, and I remember Tito Ortiz and Stefan Bonner doing that pro wrestling crap, it's not ridiculous to send the guy up into the cage who has next and to create a situation in which, yes, most of the time you're going to push each other or talk trash to sell down the road, right? You're, you're trying to Ryan, fake. Cormier, Corm- Cormier didn't even celebrate. Well, that's the key. That's the problem. Okay, the problem here is that Cormier blew it. He was smiley the whole time. When Brock came in, and by the way, Brock actually performed well. That push was solid. The get on the mic and rip every other heavyweight was solid. Actually, Cormier, who was in the moment and enjoying the moment of such a historic victory, and by the way, it really was, from an MMA side, it's a completely re- amazing victory, he was too smiley and goofy. Brock, are you serious or are you not? When DC should have just sold. So is it fake? Of course, fight promotion is largely fake. It's very rare in fight promotion that the two guys actually hate each other, right? That's why Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather hugged after the bout. That's why Manny Pacquiao right. and Floyd Mayweather right. hugged after the bout. They hugged and they say, wow, look what we just did together. We made all this money and got people to believe. So in fight promotion, yes, there's a lot of pro wrestling in there. DC blew it, and it did make it really cheesy. It made it really, really cheesy. So let's not look past that. And I went deep on the In This Corner MMA podcast with King Mo this week about the MMA implications of Brock coming back and specifically calling out UFC because Brock, fresh off a failed steroid test, is now going to get a title shot. Look, I have no problem with 40-year-old Brock getting a title shot because, look, he moves numbers. You get it. It's fight promotion. It's the steroid thing I have an issue for. But, Adam, I want to stay more in the pro wrestling side of it. What this means for WWE. What How WWE fans interpreted that. You just gave me your take that you saw the cheese, you smelt the cheese, you tasted it. How did it actually feel, though, from a non-UFC guy, a WWE guy, to see Brock go in there? Well, I, like, I'm happy to talk about that, but I think so much of what actually happened that night, and I'm not trying to get you off course, I think so much of what happened was WWE. Like, that had to have been not cleared with Vince McMahon, but I, I'm assuming when he came back and signed the short-term deal that he signed, and I'm talking about Lesnar here, that... He said to Vince, I want to fight. This is what Dana wants me to do. Or or Dana and Vince maybe even had a conversation. But to me, what happened at UFC was just as much about WWE as it was UFC. And it was for two reasons. And, and you tell me if I'm wrong here. But on one side, him showing up at UFC puts more heat on Brock Lesnar, the WWE superstar. Yes. Because Vince is clearly trying to make it seem like this guy does not care about you, the fans. He does not care about the title. He does not care about Monday Night Raw or the WWE. Instead, he would rather go fight in UFC. So to me, what happened at that pay-per-view in Las Vegas was a WWE storyline utilizing UFC personnel. And I'm not saying that UFC is doing this to help WWE, but what I'm saying is this is like a Vince McMahon masterwork. And that doesn't mean it's going to actually work out in the long run, but there's no coincidences here. Like, this didn't just happen to go down this way, that Lesnar went in there and cut the promo that he cut after Paul Heyman on social media 
cut the promo that he cut on WWE not having any heavyweights. And Dana was disingenuous after the fight and saying that Brock just hit me up a couple days ago and he said, quote, sorry, I've been dark oh. on you. I had some stuff to take care of, but I'll be at the fight on Saturday. Come on. Like, obviously, you know, DCA was trying to make it seem like he didn't know Brock was coming. Everybody knew that he was coming in. In fact, Brock afterwards admitted he thought Stipe was going to win. They thought they were setting up Stipe versus Brock. But your point on Vince is the key wrestling point here. But I actually think if we're going to get in the mind of Vince and try to understand why this is happening and why he would be so willing to allow it. Because, by the way, Dana, who does a lot of lying and alternating truth, was specifically asked at the press conference after about, hey, is Brock clear from Vince? Have you talked to Vince? Have you been in touch? Dana said no, but he said, quote, Brock is free and clear to do this fight. Him and Vince have a good relationship. He is not going to do anything to piss Vince off. I don't know the specifics, but I know he's good with Vince, whatever that means. For Vince, though, I think that's the third biggest angle for him in this. The first biggest angle is money. He sees Brock Lesnar with his championship belt go into a much highly publicized UFC card and now is going to go into a title fight. Every time Brock steps in front of a camera or steps in front of the cage, he's bringing WWE with him. Not like he was, though, 10 years ago when he left WWE and he's bringing the image of WWE. No, now he's actually bringing WWE in with him if he stays the champion during this training camp ahead of the return. Now, Factually, let me just tell you real quick, Brock did officially put himself in the USADA testing pool. He has six months and four days left on that suspension from UFC 200 two years ago, so he can return to UFC January 8th. So we're looking at a spring, late spring fight, whatever. So number one for Vince is money, because if they keep that belt on Brock, the crossover public title title championship, the crossover promotion is huge. Number two, Vince knows he has to keep Brock happy. Because to Vince, Brock is what Paul Heyman says he is, a once-in-a-lifetime generation promote, you know, attraction. Sorry, attraction. The, look, I mean, whether you hate him or not, there's nobody else like Brock Lesnar in WWE. There's, there isn't. He's different than Cena. He's different than all their biggest draws. And especially because there's that real factor. Like, you think something real is always going on. You know he's a real fighter in real life. And then three is what you're talking about, where we have to get into the why would WWE be so willing to allow this outside of money and keeping Brock happy? And what does this have to do with Roman Reigns being kept a babyface? Is this a big pot of collusion where we need to, where Vince is like, I got it, guys. Because here's the thing. Vince has never cashed in yet on Roman beating Brock clean like we thought was going to happen at WrestleMania 31. Like we thought was going to happen WrestleMania 34. Greatest Royal Rumble. Hasn't happened yet. Is Vince still sitting in the back and saying, no, guys, I got this. I got this. We're going to get you so mad at Brock. And then we're going to do it at WrestleMania next year. And then you'll finally come around. Because if that's the case, Adam, like, obviously, you're just like, can you imagine that? Like, I didn't even honestly consider this repeating as the WrestleMania 35 main event in New York. Can you imagine that? And how would that even work out? Because, like, okay, so let's talk about this factually, right? So he's not going to get cleared in this pool until early January. And I think the assumption is that Cormier is going to fight light heavyweight, defend his title one more time there. Then he wants to defend his heavyweight title once, which we're presuming against Brock Lesnar in March. And then Cormier wants to retire. Unless okay, he that's can, what he said. Yeah, he turns 40 on March 9th or something like that. If he can't get John Jones back, and we're still waiting to find out if John Jones is suspended for two years, four years, or if he can somehow get out of his certain suspension, then yes, he would okay. retire if John Jones is not available. So, so if Lesnar's fight is going to be March, which has not been announced, but it's what everyone is expecting at this time, then UFC cannot afford this guy to go to WWE and lose a match. 
That's number one. And ah, it's Vince, fake. It's fake. They can afford that. It's fake. Can uh, they? Yes, they can afford that. It's fake. Okay, well, this is UFC, and I didn't get to this earlier, but this is UFC after this incident, this fake crap incident happened at 226 that said on at, at least four times on commentary, oh, my God, this was like WWE, except this was real. So they're they're talking about it, right? They're pulling those strings. And by the way, that was so disingenuous of them saying that, but they're pulling these strings. So, okay, let, if they're okay with him losing, that means Lesnar has to compete in an athletic, even though it's predetermined, an athletic contest while in this pool to, you know, get ready to fight him in March. So there is always the possibility of injury, although sure. with Lesnar, you don't necessarily expect that. So one of these things has to happen. Either he fights and drops the title, he fights and retains the title and keeps the WWE Universal Championship through March into WrestleMania. But then are you going to want to see Lesnar at WrestleMania with the Universal title after Cormier beats his ass in March. Well, that's the same dilemma but at UFC 200, right? There's where he was so gonna, many problems He was going to face Randy Orton the next month, which he did to, to end SummerSlam, and we thought, what if he gets knocked out? What are you going to do? You're right, <laughs> and you just put an inter- interesting wrinkle in there that I didn't think of, the idea of what's Dana White and UFC going to think if Brock has a match in between and if he potentially gets injured. That's a very, very fair statement right there because, look, for all the fanfare that this weekend's UFC card got and it felt like a big one coming in the early reports is that it only did around 300,000 pay-per-view buys that's not moving the needle no, all right that's that I mean Brock moved the needle in his arm ahead of UFC 200 this is not moving the needle so they're bringing him back they're selling UFC and Dana White are selling their soul publicly for the money so you're right they might not want to risk it so I wonder if that supports the idea that Vince will keep Brock out until then and then in Vince's mind, well, we're going back to New York. And guess what? Brock got booed before in New York at WrestleMania 20. We'll set him up to get booed again, and Roman will find. I mean, it's very interesting. But if that's the case, of course you're going to get pissed. Because, Adam, in theory, Brock should fight at SummerSlam in the main event and lose to either lose to Roman and have Brock uh, Braun Strowman cash in or some scenario in there where Braun Strowman ends up with the title and then we say goodbye to Brock. But in Vince's mind, I can... I can make money off this. Now, look, if we had Vince here right now and we asked him, what are what the hell are you doing, dude? This is exactly what he would say. Sometimes you have to set an example in business. This is not about my personal ego. It's not about Bull. me having to win all the time. It's about Bull. business. I do Trish. what's right and have for years and years. I do what's right for each and every one of you. From a business perspective. Sometimes you don't even recognize it. Sometimes you're blinded by the short-sightedness. Sometimes when I make decisions, I make them from a long-term standpoint. I'm long-term oriented. And you don't even understand what I'm doing. But in time, you will. And in time, you'll thank me. Long-term decision-making. This feels like one of those. That's exactly what Vince would say. It does seem like that, except the reports were that at WrestleMania 34, he made a snap decision not to have Reigns win when that was the plan going in, as Meltzer reported, as everyone reported, right? So maybe since then he has sat down and planned something out long term, but they don't keep a story or a roster Bible or anything like that in WWE. They don't book long term. So even if Vince does have an idea of how he wants this to play out, there are so many factors that can go wrong by doing something over this period of time. And the biggest issue is that, and and just as an example, Ambrose getting injured, Roman Reigns getting the mumps with the Shield situation, okay? The biggest issue is that they might have a long-term plan. 
in six months, we might turn around and say, wow, Vince totally knew what he was doing. But in the interim, the product is terrible. And a large part of the reason the product is terrible, the main roster at least, is because on Raw, you don't have a champion on the show, you don't have anyone competing for a number one contendership, and you're building the entire product around Roman Reigns, a guy the crowd is rejecting. So you're not doing anything in the interim space to keep fans happy on the way to this massive payoff. And that is what he and Vince Russo in particular did such a good job of back in the day. They would tell long-term storylines, but on a week-to-week, or even not week-to-week, but a month-to-month basis, there was enough there to keep you around to say something better is coming, something better sure. better's coming, but I'm still entertained week by week. Yeah, and, and we're not entertained week by week right now. Certainly not. And we don't know the Brock SummerSlam situation. You get a little sniff at the dirt sheets once in a while, and they say, well, look, SummerSlam's not guaranteed. We don't know if he's going to come back. So if this is really the law, if, if Vince is all in, and we have no idea. We're completely speculating. If, if he was really not going to bring Brock back until after the UFC fight, as we're laying out, and went all the way to WrestleMania and essentially had a year-long stretch where the title wasn't defended. So storyline-wise, it's a debacle. But you talk about, we were at a month ago, we were such in a dark place with this Roman Reigns thing that we're like, it's Vince's fault, it's Roman's fault. Somebody's got to step in there. Like, somebody's got to step in there and just be like, it's not working, Vince. You're ruining the product. This is... Do you realize what DEFCON 10 will be at in five months if this is really where he's going? I'm going to have to go to the bullpen. I'm going to have to really do something dramatic and get Trips' home phone number or something because we it's going to come down to the we're, – we're going to have to get our crusader, Robin Hood, Paul Levesque, Triple H, and, and <laughs> jump in there and – You have built a global empire. All of this – Every single bit of it is because of you and your vision. That's a given. But at the same point in time, Vince, the board is concerned about your extremely questionable, their term, their words, extremely questionable decisions as of late. So we get the board together. We get trips on board. <laughs> we have an intervention, and you know where I'm going with this. Vince, the board has asked me to come here to tell you that they have filed an injunction against you with a vote of no confidence. Yes! Yes! Vince, the family agrees. All right. I don't know if Shane's going to agree. I don't know if we can go that far, but the payoff. Way to play that out. The payoff would just be. On top of that, Vince, the board has appointed someone to take over the day-to-day operations of the WWE. Say it, Trips. Not Shane. Not Steph. Say it. You know you want to hear this. I can't. Uh, Just say it. This I is can't what, even. This is what we need. I'm going to say this, but Vince, it's me. Yes, it is, Adam. That took forever to get you, but we're going to get there if this keeps up.
Or are we still recording? I fell asleep. I, we don't have to put a, vid out, a hit out. <laughs> we don't have to take Vince out physically, okay? Don't send the SWAT team. I'm not planning an assassination here. But we may have to get an intervention if this is really where it's going. I mean, it's... it's it's. <sighs> why not... I mean, if they're going to take pages out of UFC, why not create an interim title? Well, like, Because there's they did 37 it. interim titles in the UFC. Oh, you're talking no, about in WWE. WWE. Yes, I'm talking about for WWE. Why not create an interim universal championship, and then you have something for Lesnar to go against. You have something for Reigns or Strowman or someone to carry. That's great. And then you have Lesnar come back and say, what's this piece of trash? He takes it, he breaks it, throws it in a river a la Steve Austin back in the day. You do something along those lines. You play, up, you play it up that way. But right now, it's so stagnant, and I don't care if it gets paid off to a level that we love. It won't be good enough, no matter what it is. It won't be good enough to justify what's currently going on. And that leads me to ask you, BC, whether it ends at SummerSlam in 30 days or so, let's say 45 days, or (laughs) next April, and this guy carries the title for two years, (laughs) how are you going to remember Lesnar's universal title reign? Well, if and by the way, that's a good piece of booking to come up with the idea of the interim title because it does fix everything. You can of course have, it is. I'm a good booker. You can have Strowman cash in on Reigns. You can even get Seth Rollins involved for a couple months if you want to because he's so red hot and still end up with Reigns, Lesnar, at Mania next year. Okay, if we don't go there, it's it's an all time absolute debacle. It'll look be, it, it it'll look back. We'll look back on it with such ridiculous infamy. I mean, like you, what could how could it be anything else? It's really one of the, it would be one of the most absurd, stubborn business decisions. But the more that we're talking this out and listening to trips and played out and, and and this is becoming a reality in my head, the more him losing the belt at SummerSlam would really make no sense if you're going to let him go in the octagon. Because if you're going to let him go in the octagon, you want him to go in there as a hot product with the belt around his shoulder, right? Do you? If he's not on your product for, like, if he wins at SummerSlam and he doesn't fight again, if he loses who, who at remembers SummerSlam? him? If he loses at SummerSlam, then it's like, who cares? But if he can go into the octagon as a WWE champion, then Vince wins. Like, so why would Vince not do and that? Then loses, and then loses to a real fighter in Cormier? Which he will lose. Yes, he will lose. So it's like a lose-lose. There's, I don't even think... I think the only honestly clean way is to have him drop the title at SummerSlam. Or he doesn't fight at SummerSlam, somehow gets called out on Raw to make an announcement in a surprise match. Strowman cashes in. Raw after SummerSlam wins the title. Like... He has to drop the title in August. Otherwise, they're not going to have him wrestle a normal or even a Brock Lesnar normal schedule leading into this UFC pay-per-view because they can't. And there's Dana would lose his crap, I would assume. So there has to be a solution there. And to me, the only solution is either getting the title off him or creating an interim title. Because right now, WWE on this brand split, their biggest problem has not been their booking, has not been all this other stuff that we complain about. It's the fact that the... World Championship, they created and named the Universal title. They gave it to Finn Balor. He got hurt in the match. He won it. Had to drop it the next night. They have then forgot about Finn Balor and any push they ever gave him. They then gave it to Kevin Owens, who didn't even win it clean because Triple H needed his help. So then Kevin Owens carries the title and doesn't lose it to a full-time performer. He loses it to Goldberg, which was okay. Storyline-wise, it was okay. But Goldberg carries it for 30 days, loses it to Brock Lesnar, who's basically only fought Samoa Joe, Braun Strowman, Kane, and Roman Reigns, has beat them all, and that's the Universal well, that's Championship. Re- that, the first that's the year. history. The first year was good reign. That's fine. 
for sure. It was fine, but but that's the that's the history of the Universal Championship that is supposed to be the top right. title on Raw. So on you their got, signature program. You got to go interim title. You have to have an out storyline wise, whether it's an injury or it's a suspension. So he goes off on somebody, gets suspended. We say, okay, we're going to make an interim title. We're not going to strip him. Because, again, now that I'm in on the idea that this is a business decision for Vince, why would Vince take a belt off of him when if he enters the octagon with a belt, he'll have more clout and money potential? And then when you say, rightfully, what happens when he loses to Cormier? Well, Vince is trying to get Brock booed anyway. So let's say Brock loses, like, laughably to Cormier. Let's say he gets knocked the heck out. Doesn't that help Roman Reigns potentially get over even more at Giant Stadium or whatever they call it next uh, next April? I mean, I think it would the best the, the honest best case scenario for Vince the the way that if if Vince had a wet dream it would no, be that's, come on that's Lesnar just, that's just that's, it would be Lesnar beats Cormier comes into WrestleMania as UFC heavyweight champion and then Reigns beats the UFC heavyweight champion. But even in that world, Dana would have a conniption. Like there's no way that that track is going to work. So it doesn't make sense to me. Like on the off chance, Lesnar catches Cormier and wins. Then what? Like you can't have him defend the UFC heavyweight champion. Can't defend the WWE universal title in a wrestling match. Get hurt. Like we you just did a long form on the history of the UFC heavyweight title and how it's almost like hollow because no one's been able to really be a long-term champion except Stipe. And even then, he wasn't necessarily fighting the best of the best in UFC history, right? Uh, <laughs> what if, they, good, what good if the UFC heavyweight champion it. loses to a WWE wrestler? Like, can I you mean, imagine? Spe- come on, special scenario in this case. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. That is that is Vince's ultimate, by the way, dream. Like, you're not kidding. Excuse me while I rip this out. But uh, yeah, Brock's not going to win. And um, wow, wow. I just... It is the more you look at it from a pro wrestling angle, it's it's a wow situation of where are we going next with this? Because if Brock stays somehow active on WWE TV, then can't you see Cormier coming to Raw? Can't you see them? Oh God, Dana yeah. and Vince helping each other out. Now that I think there's a problem for Dana in the long run if you do that. The more you make your real fighting feel fake, which they've already done with that, you know, Saturday Night thing, then yeah, then you got a you got well, a bigger issue. The thing that actually pisses me off is Cormier's come out and said, I mean, and we know Cormier's a massive WWE fan, but he's come out and said at age 40, it's not something that I really think I want to do. Well, you know what the problem is? He's awesome. He can cut a promo. He's obviously legit in terms of wrestling, um, fighting, you know, being a mixed martial artist. So this guy could actually step into WWE a la maybe the way D'Angelo Williams stepped into impact and was just a natural McMichael. I thought you were going that road. Dan Hampton. Oh no, no, but it was just, it was just a natural, right? Like Cormier really does a good job. And then the other thing that pissed me off and maybe we can close on this Lesnar cut that promo and granted tons of profanity and that would never hack it in WWE, but they have this guy who's able to cut promos like that hiding behind Paul Heyman as his advocate. And we love Paul and Paul's the best in the business and maybe the best to ever do it in terms of, promoting a match on the mic. But you got to give this guy opportunities to talk because Brock Lesnar is fire when he's allowed to do something on his own, cut a 30-second promo, and not have something scripted for him. And those two things, the confluence of those two promos in that moment at UFC said to me, there is no reason WWE could not have had that moment for Reigns-Lesnar. If you just let Brock be a dirtbag badass, which he kind of... Seems like he may be in real life. Then, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to take the mic out of Brock. I mean, out of Paul Heyman's hand, Mike hands, like you said. But yeah, 
yeah, thank you. Let's keep it up. Well, we don't know we don't know where this is going, but we do know where ITC is going. We're moving on to the second part of the main event. The team held no reunion. It continued for better or worse Tuesday night on SmackDown. But what really stood out to me was the opening segment to the show with as massive and as obvious of a Miz Daniel Bryan tease that we have seen since Miz moved back over to SmackDown and since Daniel Bryan returned to WWE. What did you think about that moment on Tuesday? I mean, that was, you know, that was the best WWE moment of the week. That was so damn good. You can feel the energy and man, Miz can, you know, he he's he's I'm not saying he's entering. He's already there. He's in like I always say 2015 or 2016 New Day territory where give him the worst segment written and he's just going to turn it into absolute gold and this wasn't a badly written set segment, but man, did he just carry that. And it just, so uh, it's connected to Team Hell No, because we didn't get to review SmackDown last week because of the early show and the holiday week. And that was when Team Hell No took a really big step forward. And last week, I really didn't like it at all. And this week, yeah, there was a couple funny one-liners with Kane and Sync, all that stuff. But I don't like this for Daniel Bryan right now. And there's a side debate to have, and shout out to ESPN's, Tim Fiorvanti, my good friend, who wrote a column about how WWE's doing a disservice to Dan O'Brien. You finally have him back, and he's in a team to hell no reunion. And there's a good debate to be had in there, and I'm quite ready to have that. But in light of that, I enter Tuesday night just, like, uneasy. I, I didn't like the week before how Daniel Bryan was forced to act in this kind of fake comedy thing. I want to see underdog Daniel Bryan and feuds that matter but you got to taste with Miz that we're going in the right direction, that it's a slow build to get there, that you know him and Kane aren't going to be in the tag team division for the next 12 months. Don't worry about it. That taste was enough for me to be happy. I wanted, This is, to me, one of the biggest stories of the week. We've got to talk about it. I'm back in. Because that taste tells me they got it. They, they know what they're doing. Yeah, I'm not going to just discuss Tim's column because he's a very nice guy. And, you know, I'll simply say this, and I think I said this on last week's show or two weeks ago, I don't remember, but anyone concerned about the way WWE is booking Daniel Bryan had a right to be during the big cast situation a little bit, but they shouldn't be here because it is crystal freaking clear. Well, it is now, not last, not the week before, though. No, it, it was then, too. It's crystal clear. That, I'm not talking about the Miz thing, but that they're biding time with him. Now, whether that was for... The Miz feud, which it is now apparent that it was, or whether that was because the guy's contract is going to expire in September or September 1st. And God forbid he doesn't resign. The last thing you want, like people say, oh, well, if he doesn't resign, shouldn't you get all the really good matches out? No, you leave, you give him reasons to want to stay in WWE and fight all the guys he wants to fight. That's or if he does. So pause right there. I didn't consider that. That's an or, interesting business decision. To almost like sure. dangle the carrot and say, you want to resign? Well, you're not fighting AJ or any of those guys until you do. Right. Or if he does take a year off, reason to not stay gone and come back after a year, right? So so you're not going to just throw this guy in every feud that fans want to see over a three-month post-WrestleMania period just to make just to make the fans happy. Like, I know I always say you should make the fans happy, but they're giving you Daniel Bryan in big singles matches against big casts. You may not have liked them. But he was featured. He was on every single pay-per-view. He was on every single episode of SmackDown. He didn't take a week off. He's now in a Team Hell No feud, which, again, is not what we want. But it's still entertaining and fun. And it's really just, it seems pretty obvious, a vehicle to get him and Miz butting heads. It started with the Bludgeon Brothers. Now they're doing the Miz TV segment. And at this pay-per-view, if you don't think Miz is going to be at that match, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you think is going to happen if they're going to win clean and take the titles or lose. I, I'm expecting a Miz interference 
and this thing to really get ramped up. So for me, I have no issue what, with what they're doing with Daniel Bryan, and I don't think they're doing a disservice to him or the fans. I think people are just too reactionary to this. Sure, but Daniel Bryan does create an emotion inside of you, and that's the secret to his success, to connect so emotionally well with fans that I get the fear a week ago when it was too sticky, team hell no, and it's like, how long are we staying in this? And it, sure, me, maybe I'm the wrong person to talk to because I'm just not a Kane Mark to begin with. I'm not a 50-year-old Kane Mark to even double down on, and even though when they originally got together the week before, it was like, oh, cool, nostalgia, that's fine, that's fine. Don't kill it. Don't go overboard. Don't water down my Daniel Bryan when I know he can do big things. But you kind of just, you know, psychologically put me back on track where I need to be. I mean, certainly the Miz thing sparks excitement, but maybe that idea that they are holding back a bit until he does resign. But that resign date is after SummerSlam. Now, they could resign the deal before SummerSlam, of course. Maybe that's what they're going to do. Oh, yeah, but I wasn't talking about saving the Miz feud. I was talking about more Styles, Nakamura, Samoa Joe, the matches that we really, Jeff Hardy, the matches we really, really want to see. And the Miz, we do want to see, but that's more storyline-based, not actually in-ring, if that makes sense. So that's kind of where my head is at. But, like, look, we talk about Kane being in WWE at his age and doing what he's doing. It was a problem when he was fighting for the title with Lesnar in the main event of a pay-per-view. The <laughs> fact that forget. he's with Daniel Bryan in a comedy role, the best maybe role that he ever did that was not the serious demon Kane, right? The one that he came out with when he feuded with The Undertaker and Mankind. This is a good incarnation of him, and it's the perfect use of him because it's merch. They're selling merch. They're getting them both over. Daniel Bryan is on the poster for this pay-per-view. Like, if people think Daniel Bryan's getting buried because he's in, in Team Hell No, Team Hell No is, is main eventing SmackDown, and it's the promotional poster for Extreme Rules. So I don't know what else you guys want them to do with Daniel Bryan except for have a title match against AJ Styles, which, honestly, if he's not going to win the title, I can wait. Like, that's a, that's a WrestleMania match for me. That doesn't need to happen now. I just hope that uh, the plan is all along to get to Miz and this was the perfect next step this week, and this wasn't a reaction to people being worried. No, I can't imagine that, and this was great. I mean, let's actually briefly at least talk about it. Miz pulled off that same facial reaction and similar verbiage to what he delivered in that Talking Smack segment. It was almost a callback to that, and Daniel Bryan basically saying that he's good at a couple things, or he's bad at everything, including being a wrestler. Like, that's kind of how that whole thing started. And so I thought it was a great callback to Talking Smack. And like I've said, there is a 10-minute vignette package, not vignette package, promo package, that they can run of this rivalry and the history of it leading into SummerSlam. And coming out of Extreme Rules, they're going to have, what is it, uh, five weeks, six weeks? There's plenty of time to build Ms. Bryan 1 at SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, that interplay between Miz and Kane was fantastic with Miz calling him out and you're waiting for Kane to snap. Great segment overall. I'm back on track. Now let's talk about something that really activates my feel spot. All right. Yeah, sure. Uh, the G1 special in San Francisco went down Saturday simultaneously with UFC 226. You were not able to watch it live as you were in Las Vegas. For me, it was the first NJPW show uh, on access AXS that I was actually able to watch live. So that was a pretty cool thing for me. Um, hey, shout out to the da- TV execs at Access, by the way, who made a stream available to media members like us who don't get it yeah. in our cable system. That was nice. I didn't have no. to illegally, we didn't have to legally stream as as blatantly. Right, or just use NJPW World and have it on a delay, which sucks when you want to watch it live. So, no, definitely shout out to them for that. That's very cool. Um, a lot went down on this show. Some of it 
big news, really big news, and some of it, I think, a little bit more minor, um, especially the early half of the card. But let's, I think, start with the biggest, right? Main event was Kenny versus Cody, Kenny Omega versus Cody for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It was Kenny Omega's first defense after winning the title from uh, Kazushka Okada at Dominion 6.9. And this match, I mean, let's talk about the match first, BC. I thought it was a fantastic match. I thought it was really funny that it just transitioned into a TLC match. It did, but it worked. And I, and I, and I want, there's a lot of people on my timeline that were like, you know, that match, half of it was great. Half of it, I just didn't get it. I don't get that people didn't get it. So there is a problem in there. Yes, the problem in there is the problem that we have a lot in New Japan, and it's, you know, it's not a perfect product, that there's an inconsistency with what's illegal and what's not, right? Like some guys can just throw the referee across the ring and it's legal. And sometimes the referee is warning you not to do basic things. Well, in this case, tables and ladders apparently were legal. If you can get past that, if that's not enough to ruin the taste of your gourmet meal, then you got to realize that this was a fantastic match. And you and I offline had a hell of a debate about Cody, but Cody's not Kenny Omega. I also don't think he's trash. I also don't think he's average in the ring. You tend to not love the man. That's fine. It's your opinion. You don't have to be all in on him. Brandy and as I, a wrestler, Brandy, as a wrestler, Brandy and I can be all in on him. I think he's a really good wrestler in the ring. And I think that my favorite Cody match was him against Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year in January. And this is my new favorite Cody match. I think this was way better than the one they had for Ring of Honor WrestleMania weekend this year. And I think sometimes that can be the presentation between Ring of Honor and New Japan overall, the feel, the vibe, the energy. I love the crap out of this match because it had the storyline elements that you expected. Let's take away what happened after the match for a second. We're going to get to that. That was the best moment of, of, of the last couple of months besides, besides Dominion. I'm fired the heck up um, over okay, the Tongans. That, that's an exaggeration. I'm fired the heck up. Feel spot activated. Pause the Tongans, though. Kenny and Cody told me a great story, but they also had spots the superplex off the top of the ladder from Cody when you thought they might go the other way into the table? Fantastic! Those table spots? Great! How is this not a 4.5 to 4.75 star match? In anyone's eyes, is beyond me. This was a hell of a match between two guys, and I thought it was Cody bringing himself in the ring, where he's not 5 stars on a regular basis, to a higher level. Great match! Try to tear it down. Try to find the black, black edge on the lining on the silver cloud here, Silver King. What do you got for me? Well, I think the nicest thing I can say about the match is I was not disappointed. And and the biggest reason I wasn't disappointed is because I saw their first match and I was extremely disappointed. So my expectation level for version 2.0 was greatly reduced. Okay. And to clarify my stance on Cody, since you brought it up um, in the middle of that take there, uh, I don't dislike Cody. I think he's, as a sports entertainer, fantastic. There's no question. I think he's an average wrestler, and that's not insulting because not every single performer needs to be Kenny Omega or Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles. You can have someone like The Miz who is totally capable in the ring but can cut a hell of a promo and tell a hell of a story, and that is how I equate Cody most closely okay, who's a better to someone wrestler? like him. Cody or Miz? Is, he, better is, he, is he more athletic and a better wrestler than Miz? Yes, yes. but just barely. It's mm. not enough to really say that this guy 
is a good in-ring technician. I don't believe that he to showed be the case. You, so, he showed you on Saturday he's a lot better than an average wrestler. That's where you're wrong. And by the way, you're, not, tell, Saturday, you're not telling he people. He on Saturday that he can take bumps. You're not telling people showed. right now that you also said Cody sucks as a wrestler and he's not even above average. Oh, that's not true. I said he is above. I got, the, I got the proof. I can show people the inside. You of You show DMs. the proof. So, so since Brian's breaking the fourth wall here, I'll explain what happened. We talk on Slack about wrestling all the time, more than we even do on the show. And when we do that, we use exaggeration and hyperbole. Hyperbole. So I've never talking exaggerated. About the Kenny Omega, I've never exaggerated on the show. Oh, that's bull. Oh, you know that's bull. Um, in fact, I got a couple uh, tweets last week. Hey, isn't BC exaggerating about this NFL? wrestling uh you know danger thing i'm like no he's not exaggerating he really feels that way or or at least i thought you were i hoped you were exaggerating um long story short so i said yes in chat in slack chat i said cody sucks it was exaggeration and hyperbole as we continued our conversation i said he's an above average in-ring performer which is my real oh so we gotta gotta hedge the finishers coming in the camera zooms out on the silver king no it's not a hedge i'm saying my opinion is he's an above average in-ring performer but that's not great. And to have a match with Kenny Omega for this length of time, this is what I'm trying to talk about. You're not giving me the opportunity uh, at, to have yeah, a match that went this long. You got the floor. The first floor. The first three quarters of that match put me to sleep. And I understand they were telling the story and I'm okay with that, but I'm not going to grade the match highly when the first three quarters of it were slow plotting and at some points, barely touching each other. Wow. Okay. Wow. And then, and then, as Jr. would say, business picked up over the final quarter of that match with the ridiculous table spot that I think was a little bit of a botch the way that Cody landed, and I felt kind of bad about that. Like I, I was hoping he wasn't hurt. That was a, that was a tough, the, tough bump he took right there. No it was doubt. really tough. And then the incredible superplex off the ladder, which you cannot argue was one of the best moves we've seen this entire calendar year. So. I enjoyed the match. I was entertained, but you're not going to have me say that was the best match on the card and definitely not the best match of the last week. So it was definitely the best match on the card. And if you, the first three quarters of the match, if they're not your cup of tea, if you can't hear Jimmy, then maybe that's just the way it is. But I I can hear Jimmy. Jimmy wasn't playing. BC, Jimmy wasn't playing. He was unplugged. You can listen to Jimmy, but I can hear him. And I heard a a four, three-quarter star match that was fan friggin' taxed as the best card on the match. Debate it all you want, but Adam... Feel Best card spot on the, match. the heck activated by what happened next. And you know I'm in this problem area right now with WWE short of NXT and most of the time 205. They're just it's so like this week raw this week we're on SmackDown. There were some good moments. But even the good moments are cut, copy, paste. It's it's all a system. It's all Two guys run in. Oh, now this singles match becomes this tag team match. It's the same pattern every single friggin' time so that even when it's good, you say, well, it's a good-ass match, right? Four stars, good-ass match. But I didn't feel anything. I want to feel that. I want to feel that. After Cody Kenny, I felt that. Feel that. I felt that when Haku and the Tongans come out to congratulate and they turn on Kenny and they turn viciously and it's like 1980s awesome everything gritty that we love about wrestling all over again it wasn't hard there didn't even need to be blood there wasn't it was gritty and Haku's power bombing people and it's fantastic and the larger picture here there's two sides to it 
One is that Cody looked like he was going to turn on Kenny, but he took Kenny's side, and now we got business. Business is picking up big time because there's juice in the angles, right? Brock moves the needle. Brock sticks the needle inside of his arm. I've got juice inside of my veins right now because I am fired up about what can happen next. Oh, man, I'm fired up. You know that. But at the same time, Tama Tonga is one of the most underused guys in, in NJPW, in the Bullet Club. And last year's G1, they planted those little seeds that he wasn't okay with the elite. That he wasn't okay that Kenny and the Bucks are trying to make themselves bigger than the rest of the group. And each time, they'd shake hands after the match and be like, alright. Because that Kenny Tama Tonga match from last year's G1 was fantastic. They didn't capitalize on that the whole year. And while the Golden Elite is happening... As a kayfabe in your head, you're like, you know, I wonder what the rest of the BC thinks about this. Well, now we have an answer because now we have, was it the Firing Squad? Is that what their, their t-shirt said? Yes. Firing Squad. We've got a new faction. Storyline that makes sense. These guys are badass. But more importantly for me, Tama Tonga, who's in his mid-30s, by the way, has it. Has the star power. If you're telling me we're going Kenny versus Tama Tonga storyline-wise for the next few months... With Cody as the divisive middleman, which side is he going on? Come on, you that's fantastic. How is that not the best moment outside of Omega Okada that we've seen in the last few months? This is wrestling. This is not sports entertainment. No, it's it was very good. I mean, I think that really put it over the top for me. The show, not just the match, the show, because there were a couple good matches. The show itself was. Relatively cookie cutter for what NJPW oh, brings. It doesn't even hell. Bad. That was a great ass show. Are you serious? No, no. But it was. But it was. It was the same thing we always see. It was a bunch of tag team matches, a really good athletic Super Juniors match, a, re- a good secondary match. The Juice uh, Switchblade match was very good. I thought that was the best match of the night. And then the main event heavyweight championship. Like we see it. It's the same formula. It's the same formula with WWE too that they do their own formula. So I'm not saying I'm not criticizing it, but. Nothing was nothing else happened. And I was like, oh, another oh, another US show where it's just going by the book. And then they pay off a great storyline that you're right, BC, is a year in the making. And the difference is, unlike WWE when they try to book a long-term storyline and it's in your face the whole time, this was under the radar. There were moments on being the elite where Cody and Kenny would get into it and the Tongans would just sit there in the background like watching it transpire, shrugging because they didn't care. They don't, you know, they didn't care who the leader of the BC is. They don't think there should be a leader of the BC. And they kept paying it off bit by bit. And I don't necessarily know if the whole year they said, this is what's going to happen in a year's time. Or if it was just part of the show and they said, whoa, you know, we could really do something and pay this off and have Tom Tamatonga be Kenny Omega's next challenger for the IWGP heavyweight championship in whatever, September, October, right? When we get past the G1. So there is a lot of stuff happening. I thought it was incredibly entertaining. Um, Bad luck, Fale, it seems, is going to be on their side. But let's not make believe that this is the most original idea of all time. It's a splinter group of the Bullet Club. It's the BC firing squad, just like the NWO Wolfpack. I'm not saying that's bad. I know people are making Wolfpack comparisons. Like, guys, like, remember the scenario? I'm I'm just saying let's just not say that it's the most unique creative okay. idea of all time True. is great. Well, this is what we love about NJPW, though. Outside of the seven-star match potential, it's because it's so simplistic. They don't have to Correct. Re- reinvent the wheel. But what they do 
is when you have an expectation for what an NJPW card could be. And by the way, we didn't even preview this card last week. Part of that was because we had a holiday edition with Bret Hart. Part of that was because I didn't have huge expectations because I know the G1's coming up. I Maybe I didn't give them enough credit that this would start the motor for the G1 in a way that I didn't imagine. But that's NJPW in a nutshell. There's an expectation that you have. If you think they're capable of doing a 10 at their best, they'll come through with a card or a moment that's a 12, 13, or 15, or 57 where Adam, true or false, on the reg, outside of Mania, Rumble, and sometimes SummerSlam, if WWE's potential is a 10, they mail in a 7.5. And sometimes that 7.5 is pretty damn exciting. Last year, SummerSlam, completely uneven card, great main event. We leave happy, but we know in our hearts could have been a lot better the talent you have the potential for stories they constantly underachieve because they don't need to overachieve whereas njpw brings the damn thing sunday morning vegas sitting in my hotel room bed watching this on a laptop i was i was like seven years old again i was fired the hell up the juices were flowing i'm texting people on and off like this is i want this i want to feel that i'm not overblowing it because i'm the revolution uh, guy you know I i'm telling you, are, you no, I, I took drank it and it tasted good in monday and tuesday night I, I had that taste that's stop and shop diet cola i have that taste all the time this was something special and different with real cane sugar rub it on your I gums adam i think you're overblowing it because so nw njpw can do that we saw that with dominion right where it looked to be kind of normal event. And then the last four matches were like, holy crap. That was not what the G1 special in San Francisco was. It was a normal NJPW event. Again, that's not saying it's bad. It just, it was normal. It's cookie cutter. And then we got a better than expected US title match and a better than expected uh, heavyweight championship match with an amazing finish and storyline to wrap everything up, which really entertained us. But that wasn't a 10 event. I mean, the event was a seven or, you know, something like that. Just like what you're talking about with a SummerSlam as an example. The only company right now, and I mean this, that can give you a 10 quote unquote pay-per-view special event is NXT. Because we've seen it the last two cards, front to back, every single match, absolutely amazing. Okay, but they do Very five little matches. you would change. They do five matches. If you take, they do. No, you take five NJPW matches, it's absolutely amazing. But those other matches that you don't love, they're better than the mail-in WWE ones in my mind. Yeah, but WWE is not putting six-man tags on pay-per-views. True. They also don't have a six-man championship, right? Was there one defended on here? Whatever. But look, I only Whether saw they the... did or not, but I'm just saying NJPW pay-per-views is like, or G1 even every single day, and we know why they do this. But there's like three six-man tag matches, and then like the G1 matches, okay, right? Okay, let me so, ask you like this. Outside of NXT, because they're you know. on fire, I only saw the last four or five matches on here, and I'm fired up, especially yeah. the post-main event. Fired up to go home on that, right? That's your go yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of WrestleMania, which was a fantastic card this year, one of the better WrestleManias. I, I said it was top five. I still stand by that. Yeah. When is there another moment this year? Rumble was pretty damn good, but when was there another consistent stretch of moments where at the end of those pay-per-views, you're like, man, great investment of my time. Man, I'm really excited for Monday night. Man, they got me. No, you know what you get? You get some really solid four-star matches. And you're like, yeah, I like a couple uh, of those You're changing matches. history. You're, you're, okay, you're changing call, history. Call it up. Tell, tell me a pay-per-view this year. Every yeah, major really pay-per-view. Tell me one. Summer, SummerSlam? Going home no, on that four-man match? This calendar year I'm talking about. I just well, Brian, a, we've only had WrestleMania. They've had one pay-per-view since. What do you want me to do? Royal Rumble. It's pretty good. Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey showing up after the first-ever Women's Royal Rumble. And then us waiting what's going to happen Monday night on Raw with her. 
it's a pretty good card. I like that. I like that. I like that card. But you're saying this year they, they've had one major event, two major besides WrestleMania. What do you want me to do? Survivor Series was in the last 12 months. Survivor Series was fantastic. SummerSlam went home on an extremely high note. I mean, Survivor and Series with was... Triple H uh, at the end with Kurt Angle, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was a good match, and we, we were entertained by it. And the AJ Styles-Brock thing, which should have main evented, we know that, you popped like hell for that. Yeah, that one-off match that they never did anything again with, I absolutely did. It's and, just, the, and, it... and, we had the, and we also had, again, this was not a good pay-per-view, but we had the Finn Balor-AJ Styles match that were like, Holy effing crap. We were at, you know, as, as high as we could get before the main event, TLC, or whatever that was. Um, so so don't act like WWE doesn't give you good, exciting moments to okay, end pay-per-views. Did you love Elimination Chamber with Roman going over on top? Did you absolutely love that? No. Did you absolutely no. love uh, Fastlane? I mean, did you like no. I mean, did you absolutely love the backlash? No, but you're saying show me one. You're saying show me one, not everyone. Okay, yeah, WrestleMania was great. Royal Ryan's Rumble had a great WWE ending. WWE product is inferior to NJPW. We know this. There's also drastic differences between the two products. One has to do like a show every month. The other has to do nine. So like, would like, you say, well, I want to be fair. I they're be not fair. comparable. I want to be fair. Would you say that the fact that we don't see Kenny Omega every week makes that makes product like twice as good as it actually is? Of course it does. Because when we watch the G1 BC and we get into the third week and we see Kenny Omega Toro Yano, and it's fun and funny. Are you as juiced to see Kenny Omega there as you are seeing Kenny Omega Tetsuya Naito in the G1 finals? Or, you know, come on, it's different. It's just not comparable. And it's not comparable for a couple reasons. One, it's better. And I'm not saying it's not better. We know it's better. But it's also, we barely get to see it. Like, we could watch it every week, but you don't see Kenny every week. You don't see the Young Bucks every week. You don't see Cody fight, Tanahashi, Okada. You see these guys, it's like, oh, it's fun to have this month's event that we get to watch these guys perform at. And then we know once a year we're going to get a month coming up, G1, Climax 28, jam-packed with all these guys in a three, four-week window where it's going to be incredible. But to compare it to what WWE has to do, two shows a week plus a pay-per-view every month? I, well, if you're saying the roster, apples to apples... With a roster with, that's three times right. the size? Let me say it like this. If you're saying Jeez. the apples and apples comparison doesn't work because they're not putting out the same amount of product, I, I respectfully agree with that. But if, you're, but if you're saying they're doing everything in their power, meaning WWE made No, they're roster, not. Of that, then that's, that's our problem. And we know that, so let's move on because we're going to be here for two hours. Uh, Juice Robinson made a big leap with that co-main event IWGP US title win over Jay White. Shout out to Jay White who I constantly crap on because his gimmick is way better than him as a wrestler or his personality, he didn't stink. He moved up to that next level where he could be in a match that was really good. And yes, Juice Robinson carried him for the most part, but I got to give Jay White credit. He was really good in this match. Juice made the leap. Adam, how organic was that pop when Juice won the match? The crowd went like 1983 insane. Yeah, again, it's simple storyline. He broke my finger. I'm going to beat this guy and take his title. <laughs> That's not a hard storyline. And I'm going to cut a couple of really great promos on the way to doing it. Right? Great. Um, the match was fantastic. I, I thought it was the best match on the card. In terms of entertainment value, start to finish, again, not just storyline, which I think is why Kenny Cody, people think, was better than it was. Because there was two high spots at the end and a great, awesome storyline that really paid off after the match. But in terms of match, bell to bell, this was the best match on the card, in my opinion. I was totally impressed with Juice. I agree with you. I crapped on Switchblade 2 a lot, 
Because his entire mid card push has been like, what are they doing? Why did they take the title off Kenny so quick? What, what is going on here? And you know what? It's worked. So good that they finally built him up, but it's kind of a gender situation. Like they finally built him up into a legit mid carder after he lost the title. <laughs> you know, it's very I, I guess I, I, I'll watch his matches now. Is he in the G1? He is, right? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I got the roster right in front of me. I, I just felt like I used to want to actively avoid him. And now I'm like, man, I want to see. I, I might want to see a little bit more of him. I want to see if he can. That's keep going. true. That's true. But it it was really Juice that made the match. He like, is in the G one, so that's the right comparison. Now for his G one matches, I'm going to be a little more interested. But Juice made the leap. Anyone that has not heard the promo he gave afterwards, and JPW always at the press conference with real press after the events, he gave a hell of a promo. And whether you believe he was specifically nailing WWE or just or just referencing them, he talked about being CJ Parker in NXT and it failing. And Cayman Seaman, the uh, or Canyon Seaman, whatever the guy's name is, the WWE talent head, uh, was like, you know, go out and be a star. And he referenced that. Look, three years later, I am a star, and I don't need to go back to WWE. And he kind of ripped NXT. And you know what? This is his moment. He can be a real player in like the G1 picture, and eventually, I think, in the main title picture. I never would have guessed that this guy could be this good at him, but he's damn good. Give him his credit. Yeah, I, I think what he said there is being exaggerated. I don't think he was crapping on WWE or NXT. I think he was more saying, I was supposed to develop an NXT and I didn't. And now I'm such a big star that I don't need to go back to NXT. Not necessarily WWE or to anything else. He's just saying look, he was proud of himself. He won the title, right? Just like someone would if they won a title. Titles are important. Look what I've done since leaving. I was stuck in a rut. I've now broken out, you know, and, and I'm going to be, I'm on my way to becoming a star. I thought it was a great promo, but I don't think he was in any way crapping on WWE or even NXT about that. Um, and I think people that are really putting it that way are kind of missing the point of this guy. It was more a, it was more an exaltation of, Oh my God, I did it. I, forget the past. Forget all this. Look what I've accomplished now. It was a good moment. I thought it was Either great. Way. Interpretation aside, it was a great moment. Now a bad moment of course was, a really good match, by the way. That that uh, what belt is that? What do they call it? They don't call they call it the Junior Heavyweight Champ, the Juniors. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champ. It was Hiromu Takahashi defeating Dragon Lee. By the way, Dragon Lee is friggin' fantastic. If anybody's not up to speed, and I'm relatively new to him myself, the story is that Takahashi took a really dangerous move, and the reports are that he broke his neck, and you could see the pain in the ring, and he was barely able to finish. And Adam, you, you can't hide from it. This match right here spotlighted the danger that's in the NJ, in JPW style that the other territories and promotions don't seem to have at this level. I mean, you know, Shibata last year against Okada pretty much ended his career the same fashion uh, in a different manner, but the same fashion in a really great match that suddenly you don't look at that match as much anymore as great because of that moment. This is like that, but it's dangerous as all hell, Adam. And I want to hear your take. If it's too dangerous, that's part of the appeal. That's the juicy truth. Why do we watch MMA and boxing? We lo we actually kind of like it when the guys get bloodied and they fight like warriors. And then we cringe at times, but we love it. Why at 1 a.m. when you're going to turn on the TV, do you turn on Cinemax late night as opposed to your local news? <laughs> right? I turn I turn on HBO, not Cinemax. Right, um, but you get the point. Like it's like So as much as I cringed at Takahashi there and that replay is really hard to watch, do you know why I think Okada Omega 1 is the best match ever and better than their fourth? Or their third, I'm sorry. Or no, their fourth. Because they almost died 17 times, and that's part of the appeal. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't love that. Uh, I don't love that take necessarily. For me, it's, I look at, is it necessary? And it's not necessary. That move was not, ne not, not necessary. And some of the moves 
and not just the moves, the way they take the moves are unnecessary and can be done safer. And I know there's people out there now saying, well, NJPW isn't necessarily more dangerous than WWE. Look what happened to Daniel Bryan and Corey Graves and Paige. True. But those were like, and, and yes, every injury in some form is an accident, but NJPW puts, and not the company, but the performers, put themselves in the position to risk injury more frequently and more seriously True. than WWE does. That doesn't mean it's a style problem, but the way they take these snap suplexes and, and some of these moves, the way Ishii lands on his neck three times every match he's in. Or this match even if, three times earlier, both guys landed on their like head or back of their neck, and I was so, like, oh. So even if it's planned and even if they know how to take the bump, Landing on your neck as opposed to landing on your your shoulders, let's say. Or your back, yeah. Or your back. It's different. And it's more risky. Even if the chances are 5% more risky, it's more risky. There's no reason that move should have happened. There's no reason it should have been done that way. And there's no reason a wrestler needs to break his neck on something like that. If, if someone gets a pile driver and something goes wrong, it happens. Like, it sucks. But it should never be where the risk is so high Agreed. that that can happen with any regularity. And they do it too much. There's too many of those moves per match. Is it a part of the reason why I love it? Yes, but it is gratuitous. They don't, they should save it. You're for, tempting fate. They're tempting fate. You should save it for the G1 final or Wrestle Kingdom or Dominion. I shouldn't see this four times a day on the G1, and I will. And I'll enjoy it, but I won't enjoy it if somebody gets hurt. So, it's look, same thing with, with blood and guts boxing and MMA matches. It's a, it's live and die by the sword. You hope they can be a little bit safer. Uh the matches were, I thought, fantastic. The good ones in San Fran. You kind of asked me this question that we wanted to bring up here. Was the best match of last week, the last or the past week and a half in pro wrestling, from this G1? Or was it that, holy crap, eight days ago, Tuesday night on 205 Live, the Mustafa Ali Buddy Murphy main event? Wow, was that a great match, Adam. Holy crap. This is a good debate right here. Uh, I don't think it is a debate. That was the best match of the week, and the best match since Dominion. No, Argue with it. It's tough. It's tough. I'd take the NJP. I'd take Cody Kenny over it. It, it, it meant a little Why? bit more. I didn't like the finish. It meant more. Brian. Well, it meant a lot Even more. if you like the storytelling, even if you like the storytelling of the match, you have to agree with me about the first half, first three quarters of that match. Well, I, no, I, I thought that they built a foundation of a good story. There's other great matches that have slow starts that I'm not that into. I, I was fine with that, but that's a separate. That's a it separate wasn't a debate. slow, but it wasn't a slow start. It was the majority of the match. This was non-stop. This was excitement. non-stop. This was a great match, and it was arguably the best that we've ever seen in 205. I just didn't like the ending that Mustafa Ali, who's a smaller performer, and I get what they're doing. They're saying he's the heart and soul of 205 Live. They're showing that he has incredible heart. He took three straight absurd knees to the face from Buddy Murphy and then kicks out and then hits his finisher and then the match is over. And you're like, well, I'm like, look, Buddy Murphy is a stud. And some of this is me being drunk on my own love for Buddy Murphy. But you presented this guy as such a badass and then he loses every important match. And he should have won that one. Like, are you kidding me? I did think the wrong guy went over, but that doesn't change the quality of the match or the finish, which was fantastic. Yeah, and the stand- I mean, they did a, you want to talk about a superplex off a tall ladder, which we've seen Jeff Hardy and Finn Balor and whoever else do in WWE. I've never seen a superplex off upright standing steel steps in the turnbuckle in the corner. I've never seen that before. 
Yeah, that was innovative. I've never seen a that Spanish wasn't even the finish, off. by the way. That was a setup. Uh, the standing Spanish fly off the barrier onto the announce table and it didn't break was absolutely incredible. <laughs> hey, <laughs> shout out to those guys, that. man. Say this week's 205 main event of Hideo Itami and Cedric Alexander was not nearly as good, but Hideo Itami as a heel is really starting to win me over. So shout out to how physical and absurdly stiff that match was. But they're doing great things on 205. And if you haven't seen Ali Murphy take and by the way, that the reason why we've always liked 205, whether it's been good or bad, Vince or Trips, they give the matches 20-something minutes. You get a full package, if you will. Well, I like the 205 Live show now, it's 50 minutes, 30 minutes of storyline and undercard, and a 20-minute main event. And that is an incredible way to build a one-hour show. It's really exciting. You know you're going to get something really good in the main event. And the undercard stuff, it's like, eh, it's repetitive, whatever. But you know it's going to pay off every single week. Um what I was going to say earlier is just I've never seen that Span- a Spanish fly like that. Like if those two moves didn't tell you it's the best match that we've seen this week, I don't know what to tell you. This week's 205 Live main event, I will tell you what, BC, not number two, but strongly competes with the Juice Robinson switchblade match for me, which I thought was number two, better than Kenny Cody. That was Cedric Alexander and Hideo Itami was great. Yeah, but and it wasn't the finish than Kenny was Cody. Like, ridiculous. Stop, you can't fool yourself. It was, a, it was a really good. It was a good match. I really enjoyed it. I'm just let's 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 put some respect on these people's names. Hey, speaking of hour long shows, we're gonna get we're already over an hour on this main event. It's absurd. We got to speed up. But I did want to hit up this super fast point that we're gonna make for sixty seconds, and I think we got a message coming in to try to make it. Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that? An email? It is. It's from our. Buddy Brian Farkas at BFark17. And I say, Buddy Lightly, is this guy new to the program? I don't remember Brian Farkas. He he tweets us occasionally, but mostly to the uh, Twitter handle, not right, your B-Fark. not our individual My accounts. My man BFark says, Cody and Kenny put on a really good match, you damn right. But he can't get past how uninterested J.R. Jim Ross comes off on commentary. He sounds like he's going through the motions and there's zero excitement toward the matches. I want to hear your thoughts on the next episode. Uh, sadly, Adam, he's right on. Jim Ross is not working for NJPW. Jim Ross is, is lightning is going to hit me. Jim Ross is washed. He should be doing legends matches or occasional spot situations for WWE. I know Axis and Mark Cuban specifically wants Jim Ross and doesn't want to go to Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. Feels like he can bring in a different market with Jim Ross. I get the marketing side of it. Is he horrible? No, but he's not re- well researched. It seems he's not great. Josh Barnett's solid, by the way. Josh Barnett, after Jim Ross took that bump and hurt his ribs, coming into the ring to kind of challenge Jay White was believable because Josh Barnett's a former UFC champion, so it's it's a there's a badass element there. I'm fine with Josh Barnett. He would be he would he adds realness to any broadcast. Adam, true or false on my take here? It's over for Jim. I don't want I don't want Jim in this role. Well, he he's washed. Uh, he's been washed for like four or five years now. But well, it's a, I, yes, but there was a nostalgic element keeping him fresh. I think that that's faded. The, the, it's faded. Well, I think it's faded in NJPW, which he calls, you know, once a week when they do their show and it's tape broadcast mostly. He's, he's usually not in attendance. I would make the assumption he doesn't know these guys nearly as well as he knows WWE performers or producers or so on and so forth. So you're putting this guy in a semi, not in, uncomfortable because he's obviously a professional, but a position that does not maximize his abilities. And you, but you even saw it at Raw 25. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough, right? So, so you got to put Jim when if you're going to use him in a position to succeed. Um, but to call him washed, he is. He's 66, One and he's been doing though, this for decades. He says on his podcast that they give him specific direction on how they want to call it, and obviously he listens because this is his job. And if you notice, when he took that bad bump, 
I, which I don't know was planned or not. Some parts of it makes it was me not. think it was. Some doesn't. Uh, afterwards, his reaction was, I'm fine, guys. I'm fine. Don't put me ahead of the broadcast, everyone out there listening. I'm fine. I'm not going to get ahead of it. Then when Josh Barnett got back to the table, Jim suddenly changed completely 180 and was like, F these guys. Uh, can we get some damn control by the ringside? This is out of control. And he started taking, he was swearing, and he started letting a really harsh tone. I wonder if they were in his ear saying, let's make this a thing, you know? Maybe. I mean, I think Barnett took it upon himself to make it a thing by jumping into the ring. That was really crappy. I mean, crappy. That, that was, was one of the ever- best parts of the show. It was fantastic. No, no. Yeah, but it, well, a it wasn't. It's it apparently was not planned. Okay, which everyone can say no, it wasn't a work, and everyone will think, oh, it was definitely a work. Then if everyone's saying it's not, by all it seems, by all accounts, it was not a work. And Jim actually got hurt, hurt his lungs, hurt his rib. Guy continued finished the show. He did well. Um, yeah. And Barnett got pissed. So you can call him washed. You can say he's done. You can say he shouldn't be doing NJPW. The guy took a bump he shouldn't have at age sixty six um, from a in a match that you could. I will say it was a careless bump and a bad move by Jay White if it was not planned, which I don't think it was. Um, so I'm going to give him a break. Like, I, I know NJPW fans would prefer to have the other English announced duo that NJPW pays. I understand that. You can't always get what you want, okay? I listen to a lot of NFL broadcasts where the lead announcer is not my favorite dude in the world. I still watch the game. Calm down. All right. To close here on NJPW, they have a new president for anyone that doesn't know, and he's not Japanese. His name is Harold. The last name is spelled M-E-I-J. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. He's European. He's got a long history in Japan as a as a toy executive. Well, I'm getting the feeling, Adam, that he knows what he's doing with this company and that maybe he's the missing link when sometimes you and I say, hey, look, NJPW is great, but they're never going to compete with WWE, not just because of the money gap, but because it doesn't seem like they know how to take it to the U.S. the right way and make big progress. Well, he just had this giant successful card in San Fran. Then he announced they're coming back to Long Beach September 30th with the Fighting Spare Unleash card. And they're going to be doing a Young Lions showcase card called Lions Break November 10th and 11th, also in the U.S. at a site to be determined. It's not a giant news, but if they can continue to put these specials on access and the matches are as good as they were on Saturday night, the revolution's moving forward. Because it's televised. Uh- yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's televised for some people, you know, not for us, and we were able to watch it thanks to, you know, a- AXS Media Relations, but this is, again, I- I've said this a million, I- like, I'm not going to repeat myself, but it needs to be on a bigger channel, a larger audience, and congratulations, California, you get another NJPW event. Yeah, let's get Enjoy one it. in New York, let's get one at the Barclays or something. Anyway, if you want all the news that's print, fit to be print and highlights in sports and all the biggest stories. I want to remind you one more time about that CBS Sports HQ newsletter. Guys, you already know about CBS Sports HQ, the live 24-7 streaming news to your phone, to your computer, stream it to your TV. You get handsome Nick Costos. You get me coming on, giving you the latest in combat sports. But you got to get this daily newsletter packed with all the good stuff you need before you start your day. You wake up, you pull the covers out, you check those DMs. But before you check them, and some of those DMs out there, I've seen them. They're, they're absurd. They're a little bit messy. Go to get that newsletter. Go to cbssports.com slash HQ daily to subscribe. You will not regret it. If you want more BC in your life and handsome neck, you will not regret it. Adam, I will not regret my vow to watch every G1 match this year and personally rate everyone and be prepared, maybe not always on time each week, but be prepared on the show to be someone of record for our fans. And I've got a lot of DMs coming in from fans that are saying, look, you guys got me into NJPW. I'm buying 
the network or the the streaming site because of you guys. And I'm starting with the G1. I need you to educate me this this the next few months. Keep me in line. I will be I will be there for you, listeners. These five words I swear to you. All right. And Adam, we got to preview this thing one more time because last weekend seemed to sort of change some of the direction here. The G1 Climax 28 begins Saturday morning this week. It'll be Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, correct? Or is it Tuesday? Saturday. There's a three days of, that we're going to have before yeah, this. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday, show. Monday. All right. I want to start with you. We kind of teased our prediction in the past year. What's your prediction for an A and B winner and who wins in the final? Where? It's a combination of where they should go and where you want them to go. What's going to happen over the next two months? It's really difficult because kind of like the NBA right now, the B block, it's like the equivalent of the of the West. You know, it's loaded. Like the vast majority of the true stars, like the guys that you really, really want to see are in this division. And it's it is even in some ways because you do have Okada and Tanahashi in the A block. But really, I have to believe that the B block in terms of those episodes, those events are going to be the most exciting. So, you know, in the B block, just the biggest names in there. Um, and re- like I said, it's really all of them, like Tamatanga, Naito, Sonata, Zack Sabre. I'm going to wind up re- reading them all. Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, Toro Yano, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, uh, Hiroki Goto, and Juice Robinson. That's the B block. I think ultimately you have Kenny Omega on a roll and the champion has won before. So I definitely have Omega coming out of that block. Whoa. It's going to be... Difficult to uh, no one's predicting it. Everyone's thinking Naito or Ibushi, right, to create some type of something going on with Omega going forward. But I think the easiest way to dictate the storyline yourself is for Omega to do it, to beat Ibushi um, and to beat Naito again, and have Naito remain in chase because right now, like, they're, if they're not going to give him the title, I don't know what else he's going to be doing. So ha- him beating Omega doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Then in the B block, I'm looking at it right now. For me, it would come down to either Evil, Okada, or Tanahashi. I think those are your only three options. And I don't think they're going to do Okada again in that final. So I'm going to go ahead, Kenny Omega, Tanahashi in the G1 Climax Finals with Kenny Omega winning. All right. I'm completely opposite on that. That's interesting. I think because Kenny has the title now and because we're going to see him in a feud, most likely against the Tongans coming up, that you don't need the champion to win in this. Because the the point of this is you want to create the champion's opponent at Wrestle Kingdom, their WrestleMania, if the champion keeps the belt that far and the winner gets the equivalent, obviously, of the money in the bank contract or, 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 or you know, the equivalent of winning the Royal Rumble, basically, right? You get the championship match at WrestleMania or Wrestle Kingdom. So my A block, Victor, is this. Look, Okada just had an incredibly long run as the champion, record-breaking, had great matches with everybody, every style. You don't have to have him win it here, but you got to keep him fresh as your 1B. So he comes out of the A block, which is the minor block, the final day for the A block is, uh, what is it, August 10th and 11th are the block finals. August 10th, which is a Friday morning, you're going to get Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. It's going to be a great match. That's going to decide the A block. And the B block, Adam, comes down to arguably the most anticipated match of the tournament. August 11th, it's a Saturday, and it's Kenny Omega against Kota Ibushi. And the, it, we've said it on here. If anyone has a chance to do Okada Omega things together. It's certainly Kenny and Kota who are incredibly close as we know. And I think this is where Kota Ibushi finally gets his push and his star turn. Because every G1, it seems like somebody that makes a big leap. Somebody says, I'm at ready for this next level. Kota has never had his close-up because he's been a free agent. He's bounced around. 
Well, it seems like he's sticking around. It seems like him and Kenny are really tight, and he's now part of the Golden Elite. This creates incredible drama if Coda and Kenny have a match as friends, and it's a fantastic five and point something star match, but Coda wins. And then we have the drama moving forward. He wrestles against Okada in the finals. Kenny's in his corner, of course. Kenny and Omega and Okada have incredible history. But Kota Ibushi wins. And he has the chance to face Kenny, if Kenny's still the champion, at Wrestle Kingdom. So what do the next six months look like on our way there? Holy crap, they're dramatic. Because guess what? Cody is still on Kenny's side. But Cody is a manipulative dude, Adam Silverstein. Cody wants to break people apart and step in and in between. So all this time, Adam, we thought that the mega powers were going to explode on the revolution side between Kenny and Cody. But you know what role I think Cody is actually going to play? Miss Elizabeth in this mega powers explode. He's going to be the bridge between Kenny and Coda. Maybe even they'll tag team together. Maybe they'll even win the tag team belts. And he'll convince them to break apart and then wrestle kingdom next year. Kenny versus Coda for the championship. Oh my God. The mega powers are about to explode in my pants right now. Oh my God, that's good booking. This rules. Coda Bushi is your NP. JPW G1 Climax 28 winner. I think I just climaxed the dub. Where do we go from here? <laughs> I don't know how to end the show. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And the, the match the, the match I'm most looking forward to is what I said. Kenny and Cody, I think it would be the match of the tourney. Do you have one match that's jumping out for you? Um, That's probably the match, match for me. I mean, we've definitely discussed that uh, ad nauseum in the past that Kota Ibushi for me is pro- like he's not my favorite anymore, which he was after the Cruiserweight Classic. But he's the guy that I can find the most entertaining and can deliver, can exceed my expectations the fastest. Like any match that he is in could be booked as four stars and be a five-star match because that's how athletic and how how he constantly succeeds in exceeding expectations. I guess that's the best way that I can really put it. So I am looking forward to that. Just real quick, though, before we fully get out of this, looking at the first weekend of shows or really the first three days – what I don't know if you have it in front of you, if I any do. match stands out to you. For me, the Tanahashi-Suzuki match, I badly want to see. And then this Sunday, the morning of Extreme Rules, Kenny Omega, Tetsuya Naito, well, that, rematch of last year's G1 Climax Finals. We said the B block dwarfs the A block. It did last year. It's going to again this year. So the A block starts Saturday morning. You mentioned it. Ace versus Minoru Suzuki is going to be incredible. That's really the only great match of that first day. But the second day, when the B block kicks off on Sunday morning, you not only get Juice Robinson Tamatonga, which is worth the price of admission, you not only get a great comedy match in Ishii versus Yano, who team tag team a lot, you get Kenny Omega Naito, which is the rematch from last year, and you get Kota Ibushi Zack Sabre Jr. And last year in the G1, they put together a hell of a match on the first day, if you remember. So look out for that. Don't forget Monday as well. You see the A block again. And if there's a great match to see out of there, I haven't seen one yet. Bunch of good matches. Nothing great coming out of that. Then we pause. We'll update you next week. We'll see where we're going from there. But business picking up in a hurry, Adam. I want to see if Tomatonga could be the, the guy who makes the leap this year. Could be Juice. There's a lot of potential here. Could be Zack Sabre, who had a good run of going up against Okada recently. I'm fired the heck up. Okay, well, what I'm fired up for is Extreme Rules, which is coming Sunday night. Uh, is it Pittsburgh? Is that right? Yeah, are you really fired up for it? You're actually really I am. excited for it. You are. No, I am. I am for a couple reasons. Um, 
we have a 30-minute Ironman match with the two of the best workers in the company. We have Rusev in a potential main event, although we know it won't be. Uh, but he's at least in the title match against AJ Styles. We have Ronda Rousey making an appearance. We have a Roman Reigns-Bobby Lashley match that was at least built up to be something better than we expected it could be. We have a couple other good matches on this card as well. BC, let's run through this extreme rules preview uh, as the last major section of our show today. We'll start off with the kickoff show, New Day Against Sanity, in a tables match. This was just announced Tuesday night. You looking forward to this? Yeah, I'm surprised it's going to be on the kickoff show because I think this could be a perfect show opener in terms of the main card. But I think this is going to uh, – it's it's creative and fun, and I think it's going to really uh, really do something. And I think you got to have Sanity win to really establish them. For sure. I mean, the fact that they even took a loss already is like kind of ridiculous to me when you're trying to build up this team. I'm excited for them. And by the way, possible minor spoiler alert, Nikki Cross has been working SmackDown house shows at least over the last week. Uh, we haven't seen her in NXT since she did lose that match to Shayna Baszler. Maybe we're going to get exactly what we asked for. After all, Nikki Cross insanity, maybe as soon as Sunday at Extreme Rules. The next match uh, Finn Balor against Constable Baron Corbin. You know, I saw this one developing, and, and I mean, everyone did. It was obvious. Um, it's really tough for me not to care about a Finn Balor match. It really is, because I like him a lot. I don't care about this match. If anything happens other than Finn winning, it's a joke. Yeah, they, they haven't done enough to get you to care. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to give Constable Corbin a chance, though. I don't know if I like him wrestling in jeans, but uh, he's all right right now. This is turning into... Constable Corbin's turning this around. I think he's got to win. Corbin, you think Corbin wins? I think he does. Because uh, they they don't sh- care about Finn Balor. They're absolutely burying him. They care about Constable Corbin right now. So unless you have a smudge finish, let the heel win. All right, let's shovel some more dirt on Finn Balor. I think he'd be a great intercontinental opponent for the winner of Ziggler Rollins. If yeah, he'd be a great. He'd oh. be a great Universal Champion too. Well, of course. Uh, Raw Tag Team Championship. The leaders of Worlds defending against the B Team. The B team has basically won three singles matches now against Matt Hardy. Bray Wyatt's coming out of a car accident that was serious, but apparently he's okay. Um, does the B team win the tag team titles here on Extreme Rules? I think they have to because of the way that things have been booked. And yes, the same things happened every week on Raw, and it's getting to the point where it's annoying me. But overall, I like this. I like the underdog element, and I like that long-term potential. Of course, that the B team joins the the larger, the leader of family, Wyatt, whatever you want to call them. Yes, let's keep that storyline going, especially if Bray is not fully recovered. Is he fully recovered? I mean, he's on the screen, but is he able to actually No, they're wrestle? saying he's good to go. He was cleared. All right. Well, you know, yeah. And if you don't put the titles on him, then start where we think it's going. And Well, the big the biggest issue for me is that they were doing a really good job with Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. Like, coming out of WrestleMania... You know, he popped into that battle royal, comes out, they're they're a team, it's working. I didn't like the music, but that's besides the point. And now the Woken Universe has kind of just been forgotten. They had everyone involved. They did the final deletion or the ultimate deletion, whatever they called it. And they haven't gone back to the fun campy stuff. Instead, they have the B team making fun of it every week. That's a great which point. is so Vince. That's, that's which so is Vince. so Vince. Yes. Taking something that fans like and then having a comedy team make fun of it and tell you it's ridiculous. So if they're going to ruin the Woken universe, then yeah, the B team should win. But wow, if this is something they're going to keep doing. It's pissing all over it. Yeah, because he didn't create it. So that's the way it works. Maybe. But if it's something they're going to keep doing, then I would like to see them retain, turn them, start something. There's plenty of other tag teams that they can fight with. The B team, if they win, they're just going to drop them to AOP. It's going to be ridiculous. SmackDown Tag Team Championship. 
This I think this is going to be a late match in the card, actually. We're talking about it early. But Bludgeon Brothers defending against Team Hell No, obviously Kane and Daniel Bryan. What do you think about that? I think it could open the card to get that early Daniel Bryan pop to really get it over. Uh, it's interesting. They set up the Bludgeons. They've done a, okay. They've done well to set you up to not necessarily know how this is going to end because the Bludgeons have been set up to squash everyone. And Team Hell No could very well get the belts for marketing purposes. As much as we want to see, of course, Daniel Bryan get into a Miz feud and not be a tag team champion. But if you have a longer story to tell on this, putting the belts on them wouldn't be the worst idea. I, If I'm going to predict, I'm going to predict they put the belts on Daniel Bryan to try to keep people happy. Yeah, I don't think so. This, to me, is a vehicle to waste some time, get to the Miz feud, uh, and make the Bludgeon Brothers strong because they've beaten everyone else. So why not beat this team? They're going to look really strong. There was the fake, not fake, uh, teased. Uh, standoff with the Bludgeon Brothers and Sanity. So I think that's possibly where they're going next, although it would be weird because they both are heels right now. But if that is where they're going to go and they do have Sanity win the titles off the Bludgeon Brothers, then they need to make them look strong here. I think they retain. I think Miz gets involved. He's not on the card otherwise. So he's not going to not be there, in my opinion. That would be very, very strange. Okay, uh, moving on to the SmackDown Women's Championship. We have Carmella defending against Asuka with James Ellsworth oh, suspended God. above the ring. In a shark cage. Copy and, and paste, right? What have we had? It wouldn't be that lab? bad. It wouldn't be that bad if they didn't just do it. And guess what? They didn't sell enough think? of these over Christmas and those toys they put out. So now they're going back to the well. We saw Enzo in a cage. I mean, look, the cage gimmick has been around forever. I get it. But I actually love James Ellsworth being back. But with that said, this is completely going in the wrong direction. You know what I say when I don't care? Give me four hot minutes and get the hell out of the ring. Yeah, I hope so. And I really was kind of even though I hated Carmella beating Charlotte initially, I was kind of eventually buying into it. The James Ellsworth thing was telegraphed. It's not working. Well, the fans are not. Right when Carmella was hot, right when we were like, you know what? She's really doing this money mellow thing pretty good. Then you bring James back like now yeah. when she's, finally... and she's not. And she's not doing the thing where she's dragging him around by the collar anymore. They could have had him come back and screw her over for kicking him away, you know, off or breaking up with him or whatever they want to consider it. Instead, he's just there fighting Oscar for no good reason. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The crowd is not hot for it. Honestly, I want Oscar to win the title here. I don't think she's going to. I have a feeling that Becky Lynch is ultimately going to be the one who takes it off Carmella. But I'm going to make the prediction for Oscar winning because please end this. Like, I don't want to see this anymore. So I'm going to go ahead and take, a little, take the L, as you say, uh, on purpose, just praying that this finally comes yeah, to an end. I hope you, that their plan isn't that Asuka finally wins at SummerSlam because we, we can't go through this anymore. I can't do it. No, can't do we it. can't. And, and Asuka continuously like losing or even looking bad is just ridiculous. What did they do with her? Why build her up if you're going to do this? U.S. Championship, Jeff Hardy defending against Shinsuke Nakamura, who's coming off a dog bite that has kept him out of the ring for a couple of weeks, although he did fight. Uh, two matches this week on SmackDown. God, what a waste to put him in with AJ this week. Like, come on, stop doing that. Anyway, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about both guys. I think this is where Shinsuke gets the belt. He's clearly where he deserves to get the belt. I like this new fake Willow Jeff Hardy. And Shinsuke's promos the last two weeks, specifically two episodes ago, fan friggin tastic like he's figuring out new depths and layers to his heel character he's so damn good right now please put the belt on him and this could actually be a sneaky good match not a three seven five or a four star but this could be some business here that's fun i think shinsuke is doing a great job and every time i see jeff hardy wrestle it just looks like he's hobbled yeah he's, i actually he's think he needs 
surgery or time off or something. So one of two things, either have Shinsuke win and have Jeff take some time off if that is the case, or have Shinsuke win and I'm totally down for a rematch at SummerSlam, especially if the match is good. So it's time to give this guy a title. He Not only does he deserve it, but his character deserves it. He probably should have won the WWE Championship from AJ Styles in their in their final, well, what we thought was their final match. Um, so at least give him this one and let's do something with this mid-card title. There's plenty of guys on SmackDown, Daniel Bryan, Samoa Joe, et cetera, that can compete and make it really, really interesting. Uh, let's move on to this Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley match before we get to what I am considering the triple main event. It's not for the number one contendership. There was no stipulation added on Raw. Um, personally, I thought the go-home segment was very good, but I thought it was an absolute disaster that Kurt Angle did not follow up after they disobeyed his order and fought each other and had to get pulled apart by 20 people that Kurt didn't come back and say, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to tie you together with our bull rope or I'm going to put a stipulation on this match at Extreme Rules. Instead, it's a one-on-one singles match for absolutely nothing. What do you think? You know when there's like a flavor of potato chip or a soda that you know that like you don't really like, it's disappointing, it's okay, you drink Salt it. Salt and vinegar. Yeah, you drink it if you had to at a, like a cookout, but then that company like freshens up the label and puts like flashy like orange and pink colors on it and you're like, I know I don't like this, but this label's fantastic. Maybe it'll change the flavor and you buy it and then it's like in the end it's Fritos. Like Fritos are okay. I'm not going to buy Fritos, right? Fritos suck. Like it's kind of sucks. Like, yeah, it's better oh, than Fritos it. do not. Fritos do not. Suck. They're they're the Doritos evil uh, stepbrother. Come on. You know that. Um. Anyway, this Terrible is just steak. not great. Like, it's better than it was, but they formulaically copy and pasted the pull apart, break apart routine. The real problem is these guys really aren't that mad at each other, yet they're acting like one beat up the other's sister or something. They didn't. This was, hey, Bob, you're too old. Hey, Roman, you're not a title contender. Like, who cares? And again, when the foundation is weak, you can't get me to care just because there was some intensity for once. It's I I hate to say it. Give me give me four hot minutes and move on. There's 86 (laughs) matches on this card. Let's get through it. I'm sorry. The G one's going to be friggin fantastic, Adam. These are not going to be great. Is there any way Bobby Lashley wins? No, but if he did, I'd 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 start I'd get back into it. I would care if he won. Yeah, I would care. All right. But he's not. He's quick, not uh, quick DM slide from Blake Molina at BlakeMo92. Even if you aren't juiced for this match, he wants to know, can you at least agree that Bobby Lashley's character is the one that we've been wanting all along? It's getting there. It's getting there. I'd like to see a little more focus on his MMA past, maybe some of the MMA moves in, in, the, in the ring. I'd like to see him be angrier. He's, he doesn't talk well, so why don't you just limit his dialogue and let him speak with his muscles? It's not that hard. It's really not that hard. Yeah, I, d- I didn't watch him in TNA. Everyone says that Bobby as a heel is way better. Um, so let him, if he can, if, if you're able to turn someone heel against Roman Reigns these days, let him turn heel in this match. Uh, but I think this character, they've at least saved him because it was bad. It was as bad as it possibly could be. They've at least saved Bobby Lashley and said, okay, this is at least someone I buy as a main event competitor who I will watch yeah. as opposed to what it was a month ago when it was like, this is totally pathetic. But in TNA, by the way, he was both good and bad, and he wasn't overly generic, and he wasn't like overly evil because he's a heel, or overly, here's my sisters, I love them because he's a babyface. He was just a badass who doesn't talk a lot, but when he does, it's to tell you he's better than you, and that's about it. Like, it's not that hard, guys. Not that hard. Yeah, so I, I think they're at least going in the right direction. We have the Raw Women's Championship. Oh, I think Reigns wins, by the way, if that wasn't clear. Uh, we have the Raw Women's Championship. 
Alexa Bliss defending against Nia Jax in the only Extreme Rules match, truly Extreme Rules, because it is the Extreme Rules match on this card. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen here. We do have Ronda Rousey at ringside, which is interesting because she's suspended, quote-unquote, from Raw, so storyline-wise, it's okay, but we kind of assumed she had projects and stuff to work on and wouldn't be around to be on TV, so that's why she got the suspension, yet she's going to be in the first row in Pittsburgh, which is nowhere near where she lives um, at this show. So, what do you think, BC? I'm kind of excited about this. I'm excited how they're going to tell this story. I think there's something about Alexa Bliss with a kendo stick. I don't know if it's like in any way like that or if it's just it works, but we've seen her in an extreme match before and it worked. And Naya, obviously, let's be honest, she's the largest woman. She can take some of these weapons hits and it makes this match more believable. It's obviously all about Ronda. And let's hope they've got another good good turn on this because it was set up well with, with, with how Ronda got suspended. If I'd like to see her show up in a Canadian tuxedo like Scott Hall wore when he was in the crowd that night with uh, WCW. Let's let's do it. Let's let's make some business here. I think that <laughs> in the end, though, I don't know who wins the match, though, because Rousey's there to get Bliss back. So she can help out Nia, who she just like, are they friends now? I guess Nia turns every day. So I don't well, necessarily yeah, know if the, if the finish matters in this because you want Bliss to keep the belt so that Rousey could take the belt from Bliss. So I guess Bliss has to win. But the. How they get creative with Rousey is going to be fun. Well, yeah, that, I agree with that. And I do think that there's something planned. Saying, obviously, the entire card is planned, but they have a specific goal in mind here. And I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on it because, like we've said, they've been booking Rousey very well over the last, even though she hasn't been on TV in a couple of weeks, six weeks or so, right? So her three or four appearances... She had a great match with Nia Jax that we were all shocked by. Fantastic segment on Raw. And if they have her interfere in this, which we should expect her to, it's going one of two ways. She cost Nia the title accidentally, um, in which case we have that match again and they hold off Bliss Rousey a little bit further. Or she cost Bliss the title, in which case Nia wins and then we have a triple threat possibly coming up at SummerSlam. So one of the two, I think we may end up with a triple threat either way, but I'm excited to see what they do, and no longer am I in the pessimist. I've always been positive about Ronda Rousey, but no longer am I a pessimist about the booking. I think they figured it out with this Alexa Bliss storyline and the Nia Jax storyline. Okay, two more matches left here in Extreme Rules. Intercontinental Championship, Dolph Ziggler defending against Seth Rollins in a 30-minute Ironman match. There's two questions here. Who the hell is going to win, and should this have been 60 minutes? I'm fine with it not going 60 because there's so many matches on this card. And even though this will get a, a decent sized push, it's not for the big belt. So it's not going to close the show going 60. I'm okay with it. I like how they've been building this. I like the business they've done on Raw. I really liked that Rollins-McIntyre match. I thought McIntyre really like over overperformed in that to make it good. Obviously, Rollins can carry almost anybody. I love this matchup. I love the potential for this match. Who do I think is going to win? I'd like to see Dolph keep it, and I'd like to see Seth either win this belt at SummerSlam or not win this feud, but catapult forward to the title level if that's their plans. I don't want to see Dolph go away. I know some of us kind of think he might. I want to see Dolph stick around with this belt. He makes this belt. Like this, the belt. Like the belt doesn't make him. He makes this belt. That belt's got a long history, of course. So, but he makes this belt feel really important. I don't want to see this end. <laughs> You just said belt so many times I couldn't even I jump in belts. with the title correction I because I would have had to just literally keep repeating myself every single well, time. That's a Vince um, correction. It's not a it's not a society correction. It's just Vince. Of course, that's the joke though. Well, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so um, I, I agree with everything you said. The only problem I have with this being a 30-minute Iron Man match is they just had a 29-minute match on Raw. <laughs> so I've already seen this, right? Now, I know the whole concept of an Iron Man match is, uh, you know, you know there's a time limit and you know there might be multiple falls. So supposedly you work faster and harder to get falls and maybe you slip up more and therefore there are more falls. But we just saw a 30-minute match between these two. So if this is the stipulation you're going to choose then give me 60 minutes. I, that just doesn't make sense to me. Outside of that, I'm totally juiced for this match. Uh, it won't main event, obviously. I think it should. It might open the show, which I actually think would be a mistake because we got to get Rollins into like the third hour you know, on these shows because he certainly deserves it. I'm really excited. Drew McIntyre will be at ringside, so there's always that element, I think, because of that. Um, and because I doubt Reigns will come out to help Rollins because these are the weeks now that they're not friends, apparently. Uh, I would assume that Ziggler is going to retain here. And that's totally fine because, like you said, Rollins should be truly in the main event picture or at least competing for the number one contendership. And Dolph Ziggler in this role with Drew McIntyre and the run he is currently on, this is the best thing he has done in WWE in a long time. And they're doing every single thing that you and I have been asking since this show has existed. Push Dolph Ziggler. Let him cut real promos. That is what's happening. Good for that. Absolutely. We're going to wrap up here on Extreme Rules with the WWE Championship, which should main event every pay-per-view, hasn't in a long time, and probably won't hear either AJ Styles defending against Rusev, who is now working heel all of a sudden. Your money tells you AJ is going to defend here. Your money tells you congratulations, Rusev, for getting this far. WWE doesn't really do this. They let Daniel Bryan organically get to the mountaintop of WrestleMania 30 because the fans made him. But this is one of those softer situations where the fans push Rusev to the spot. Happy Rusev Day. It's great. The shirts are flying off the shelf. I credit WWE for putting him here. I think he's in here for a one and done. I like that he's getting this chance. I'm going to enjoy the match. There's a, there is something that you can get me to believe, though, that it's not. And that's a Daniel Bryan related thing could rusev be a transitional champion to get it to daniel bryan if that's their path i could be bought in to believe that that means rusev would hold it to SummerSlam. could brian be in a title match i don't know it, it doesn't seem to make sense if we think brian and miz are going in that direction but that's the only reason i think you'd take it off aj because you wouldn't want daniel bryan to beat aj unless it was like wrestlemania so well you would get you will but SummerSlam is as close to wrestlemania i mean that's that's their number two uh what you would do because if you assume daniel bryan's going to fight the miz AJ gets his rematch at SummerSlam, possibly wins it back to get the pop of winning at SummerSlam, and then does fight Daniel Bryan down the line, whether at the Royal Rumble or at WrestleMania or whatever the case. So, But I agree with everything you said. Um, Rusev deserves the opportunity. He should be in this spot. I don't necessarily think he should be champion. I know that would make a lot of quote-unquote smarks happy. For me, it's just not necessary. I think him being in the match is all we really need. And I'll tell you, the best thing on WWE TV in the last week that's a non-match was Rusev on commentary during the AJ Styles Shinsuke Nakamura match. Yes. It, it was hysterical. He is so good. He's smart. He's funny. He was also in a ride-along with Lana and Aiden English that was on WWE Network last week. And that was great, too. They have something in this guy. Let him talk for himself. It was great. All right. We're way over on time. We were going to get into some DMs. I'm going to just do one DM here because I love our listeners. I wish we had more time. We have to preview the crap out of all these cards and talk about G1. But on the way out, I love when these people slide in our DMs. Adam X Parsons always slides in our DMs. He wants to know halfway through 2018, which we're approaching, who's our MVP 
for WWE and NXT. Your boy, Adam, is Adam Parsons, and your boy, Adam, is Seth Rollins. And that's the first half WWE MVP. True or false? Yeah, he's the first half WWE MVP, and he's the first half Raw MVP. I think the first half SmackDown MVP, I'd probably give it to Shinsuke. Uh, because even though it was rough until WrestleMania, Styles is very just, he's just happening. Yeah, they're, like, not, just, they're not giving him enough to work with. That's not, interesting. Yeah. If we had to make a SmackDown MVP, obviously it changed with the roster shift at WrestleMania. So it's hard to give an MVP if guys were split because Miz was pretty damn good on on SmackDown at all times. But yeah, Shinsuke, that's that's a fair. Those are fair MVPs, Rollins and Shinsuke. You could give it to Daniel Bryan also, but I think Shinsuke has been involved in more important stuff. I mean, he had like four title matches after us, you know, including WrestleMania. So for me, it would be Shinsuke. What about uh, real quick NXT 205 Live? NXT is an interesting debate. I'm going to go Johnny Gargano overall, but you can easily say Black or Dream, right? I'm going to go Johnny Gargano. Uh, the answer is Tommaso Ciampa. What? Because he's carried that feud with his heel antics. Like I said, like we said last week, he's the best heel in WWE. What about That's, 205 Live? Yeah, he was so good opposite Aleister Black. That's a good point. All right, I'm going to stick Johnny, but I, I respect that pick all the way. 205 Live, I mean... Can I say Buddy Murphy? Because it's the reason why I watch every week. And then I, re, you know, realize how good everyone else is. And even the worst of that show is still pretty damn good. I don't always watch it. I don't always have the time. 205 Live is never awful. It's never a waste of my time. Buddy Murphy, you, you're the real MVP. Uh, it is Buddy Murphy. I, I would probably say Triple H, but that wouldn't be fair, That's obviously. But pick. yeah, Buddy, Buddy Murphy there. We already discussed WWE. And then two more. Who's the MVP of NJPW? I mean, it's Kenny Omega. Are we really going to argue it's that? It's Kenny Omega all the way, yes. Okay. Who is the MVP of the first half of 2018 and all of professional? All right, that's a good question because it's not who's the best wrestler. It's who's the, who's the, who's the best. It's, it's who's performed ultimately the well-rounded the best or who's even the most valuable. Most valuable player in any sport is kind of a combination of whether you're actually most valuable or you're the best that year, right? I mean, Terry Pendleton on the 1991 Braves, not the best player in the NL that year. He was the most valuable, arguably. Look at his stats. It's kind of a lame pick. Why am I picking that year out? I should have picked out 1988 Kirk Gibson <laughs> when Daryl Strawberry got screwed. Anyway, Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega's the best wrestler in the world. He's the most valuable to the revolution. He's incredible. Kenny Omega's the best thing that ever happened. Kenny Omega is the real MVP. Yeah, um, it's it's tough. I think he's the MVP because he's the person capable of changing the business the most who's opened a lot of eyes while simultaneously winning the IWGP heavyweight championship and ending Okada's reign. The only other person I would put in that conversation, and you probably won't like it, would be Ronda Rousey because she was such a big from, and cause it started at Royal Rumble. That was a huge moment. She was a big draw for WrestleMania her segments have been the best part of Raw when they've gotten her right. Her match with Nia Jax was incredible. And every time she's on the show, the fans go nuts and we hang on every word. And the problem that. is that those, those words sucked at the beginning or you know in the middle, I should say, but they fixed it. So I would make an argument for her, but I think Kenny Omega is probably the best answer. No surprise that you make that argument, but at the same time, I don't hate that. I kind of like that argument. She's in the discussion. She is, but it's Kenny's world. Anyway, we got to go. We got to get out. It's time to say goodbye after a loaded show. Kano, say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Goodbye.
Okay, now get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Oh, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. We out.